Good morning, Austin Oaks Church family. Good to see you. Um, I want to welcome you if you're a friend, a guest, visiting with us this morning. Uh, my name is Brandon Ziski, the lead pastor here at Austin Oaks Church. A little bit about us. Our heartbeat is to be simply about Jesus. And that's why we do all that we can to help people meet, know, and follow him. Because truly, when you encounter Jesus, it changes everything. Okay, so this morning, we're going to do something unique and different, as you can see behind me. Um, We're going to have an opportunity to hear from our two um, primary worship leaders here, Seth and Mary Ellen, and we're going to ask them some questions as to why they do what they do and the importance of doing what they do. Um, But before we get into that, I want to talk to you again about next Sunday. What's happening next Sunday? Okay, I'm going to pause there. First service was half this size, and they were way more excited about it than you all were. So what's happening next Sunday? Yeah. It truly is celebration, okay, because we're going to be celebrating life change. People who have given their life to the Lord Jesus have been transformed, moving from death to life, or a new creation in Christ. We're going to hear those stories of life change. We're going to see people get baptized. And one of the things that we do here, yeah, it's pretty exciting. One of the things that we do here is we want to make sure that we're also mindful of our friends and our family members, our classmates, our coworkers who might not know Jesus, that this is the perfect opportunity to invite them to hear about that because they're going to be hearing stories. Yeah, I'm going to preach a little bit, but they're going to be seeing literally the power of God through life change. And so last week, all the cards that are on your seat, there. Some of you participated, and uh, I want to encourage you, for those of you who haven't yet, to to be mindful of it and be thinking about it. But we ask for you just to respond to the name that the Lord has put in on your heart to write down, to pray for, to invite to Celebration Sunday. And I mean, this is the list of names that we got from last Sunday. And this week, as I was holding this list and just starting to pray over them, and as we start as a staff to pray over these names, it dawned on me, I was like, This is a lot of people, a lot of people who are far from the Father, but it's a lot of people whom also the Lord is stirring on our hearts, and that's exciting because that tells me as a pastor that the Lord has our hearts because worship leads us to mission. Worship leads us to evangelism. And so I want to encourage you, again, if you haven't filled that out, write down that name, and we want to pray for them. So at some point towards the end of the service, if we remember, because we totally forgot first service, if we remember, we want you to bring those names forward so we can be praying for them, okay? So... I'm going to ask Seth and Mary Ellen to come on up this morning, and um, we're going to continue in our talk about worship. Last week, we began to dig into John chapter 4 as we've been talking about the both ends of worship. Two weeks ago, we started to talk about the tension of worship, and we looked at Leviticus chapter 9, and in Leviticus chapter 9, it's the culmination of Israel, like responding to God's saying, here, if you want to restore your relationship with me after the worshiping of the golden calf, here's what you got to do. It's chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. They do it all. They bring the offerings. They bring the sacrifices to the altar, and God receives it. And we know that because fire came from heaven. And the people shouted for joy because they were overwhelmed that God was so gracious, that God was so merciful, that he would forgive their sins and that he would still want to be in relationship with them, to still uphold the covenant with them. And at the same time, as they realized that fire was coming from the heavens, they were like, whoa, this is fire coming from heaven. And also they realized it and they fell face down in worship. That's the tension of worship that we should experience all the time. 
We shout for joy because we remember the gospel. That the body of Christ was broken for us. His blood was shed for us. We didn't deserve that. The wages of sin is death. And he paid the way. He who knew no sin became sin for us. And so we should always shout for joy. Right? But then we realize this is the son of God. Who spoke everything into being. And we fall face down. And worship. And respect. And then in John chapter 4. As Jesus revealed himself ever so slightly to the woman at the well before he gets into the conversation about worship. She wants to know how to respond. And Jesus says, if you want to worship, there's a type of worshiper that God is looking for, that the Father is looking for. It's in spirit and in truth. Our spirit, our hearts, our souls, our affections respond to the truth. Truth can't just sit in the mind. Truth has to get into our hearts. And this is what true worship is. And it really just... It like dismantles any worship arguments. Like, well, we worship over here. We do it over here. What's the right way? Jesus says true worship is in spirit and truth. And if you want to worship God, you must worship this way. And so to set the tone this morning, I want to read Philippians chapter 3. And we're going to start asking some questions. In Philippians chapter 3, I'm going to read the first three verses. In addition, my brothers and sisters... Rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me, and it's a safeguard for you. Rejoicing in the Lord is a safeguard for our hearts. And that's the conversation we're going to have. And he goes, watch out for the dogs, watch out for the evil workers, watch out for those who mutilate the flesh, those who want to add to the gospel, who want to make true worship about other things. For we are the circumcision. We are the ones who worship by the Spirit of God. We are the ones who boast in Christ Jesus, who praise in Christ Jesus, whose delight is in Christ Jesus, and we put no confidence in the flesh. And so I want to introduce to you truly two people who I have the utmost respect. You already know them, but I want to gush on them for a moment because you see what they do on a Sunday morning. And I know the majority of you haven't had the opportunity to sit and talk with them and get to hear their hearts. And I know a lot of times what we think of them is they just plan songs and prepare songs and get the slides for us. And they come up here and they lead some songs. But really, I want you to know that these two love the Lord so much that what they do on a Sunday morning is really an extension or an overflow. These two remind me of David when God would say that David was a man after his own heart. These two remind me of that. If you get to know Seth and Mary Ellen, they are after God's heart. And everything that they do up here is an extension of that pursuit. And so Seth, he's our worship pastor, oversees all of our worship ministries. And Mary Ellen, um, she's, she's golden. Okay, like her heart is so beautiful. And, and I always thought it was like, she, she's so mad at me. Look at that, look at that face. Look, she's mad at me. Okay, Sorry. I'm always going to be the, the younger brother in any circumstance. But like I tell her, it's like, you know, she oversees our classic service, our traditional worship, which is an amazing thing. But I tell her that's not why she's on the team. She's on the team because she needs to teach us how to love Jesus well, because that's what she does so well. And she's amazing at that. So before we get into it, I want to start with just a real personal question, and we're going to dig into some questions that I know I've heard from the congregation about worship leading and all that kind of stuff, but would you share with us, why are you a worship leader? Why do you do what you do? 
When uh, people ask me how I was called into ministry, I, I tell them it truly was, a, it was a phone call. I had never, ever in a million years thought of myself as a, as a candidate for ministry or, or working in a church. I had uh, teacher training, I had a lot of music training, but ministry was just not uh, in the picture. And when I was growing up, women didn't do this job. It was a job for men. And so I, it was just mind-blowing that someone would consider that I would be okay to do this job. And so I had the training, I was available, and so I came here to Austin Oaks Church. And as I have grown up, I should say, in, in ministry now, I've been here 17 years, and I see how God, everything in my past experiences from us moving to New England and the church that we, they're really learning how it, what it meant to follow God. Everything has helped to mold me to be who I am now. And I'm such a, a mess sometimes. And that's why I hate to hear what he was saying because I, I just feel so unworthy. But I know God is so busy working in my heart. And I'm outwardly wasting away, but inwardly I'm being transformed. And I'm so thankful for that. So he's in control. Did you, did you see that? This side saw that. You guys did not. Oh, Mary Ellen. Um, I, uh, also wasn't planning, looking to be uh, a worship leader. In fact, uh, I was like, no, please not that. Um, I don't want to, I, di I really didn't want to do vocational ministry. Um, but I am so glad that God has changed my heart and given me like a love for the church. I am a worship leader because... I have been saved, like I, I've been truly saved by Jesus and there's nothing that I, there's nothing that moves me more to, to celebrate and to highlight than that and there's a job that exists that you get to, to do that uh, in such a unique and special way and uh, I've said before that like being a worship leader um, should be the easiest job because what we're doing is calling people to do what, what you're designed to do. My job is to call you to do something that God built you to do. And so it, I say should be on purpose because it's not always easy because I put myself right at the front of the line. Like we're, we're selfish and we're prideful and we're stubborn and we get in the way of what God is wanting to do. But it should be the easiest job because all of us have been designed to worship. We've been built to praise Him. And so when it's done right, it's just the most beautiful thing. And we have this awesome perspective of like being able to be up on front and watching people express love for the Lord. And when you see someone who like, maybe you, you caught them on a day when they're just like cold or upset or bitter or dry, but you see over like weeks and months just like a softening and a love for the Lord and a freedom of expression. It is just like, it's such a sweet spot. I honestly like, 
I wouldn't be mad if you wanted to come see it sometime while we're singing. Just come up and just stand and just watch. It's like, it's so, uh, it is so encouraging as I worship Jesus to see others doing it. So I'm a worship leader because I've been saved. And I love to like testify about it. I love to worship God. And so, and I, that, that can be a, a real job. But again, I didn't, I didn't want to. I was like, no. And uh, a mentor in college was like, you should keep leading worship. And so I'm graduating. And Dan Lee and I were like set to get married just like a couple weeks after I graduated. And I had nothing lined up. I was a tour guide on campus. And I was like, I'll just keep doing that job. Maybe work at Starbucks in a... This guy named Stephen Kelly said, uh, no, you're going you're gonna to keep leading worship. And so every church that contacts the university, I'm going to set up an interview for you. And I'm like, okay, Steve. And so um, he did that. And the first interview ended up turning into uh, a job where I got to just learn a ton and grow as a worship leader. And um, so I kind of stumbled into it, but it was absolutely the Lord placing me there and putting a call on my life to, to serve him in worship ministry. Sweet. Well, thanks for sharing. Um, last week we were talking about that the Father is looking for those who worship in spirit and truth. And one of the realities of that is, is that some of us can lean more one way, meaning like we would, we're more truth people. And some of us are more spirit people in terms of like affection and response, emotion. And when the reality is it should be 100% each, 100% spirit, 100% truth. And so I know a lot of times, and I know not our church, our church doesn't say this, um, but I know a lot of times that people will be like, well, we just do the music as sort of filler or sort of like just like something we do to get ourselves ready for the main course, aka the word, which is important, right? But it's not just the word. And so one of the things we also said that in this series, we're not going to give our opinions. We're going to base what we say off of Scripture. So, Seth and Mary Ellen, what does Scripture say about singing and the importance of singing? Why do we sing as a church? Is it just to wake us up? Is it just karaoke? Like, what does the Bible say about singing? So much. <laughs> so much good stuff about singing. Uh, we're, we're designed to do it. Like I said earlier, we're created to be people that, uh, that worship. And I'll just like, I'll do some, I'll flood us with some scripture about, um, so we're designed to, we're also commanded to. It's, it is an act of obedience. And you know, when our hearts are right, it's joyful obedience of like, you see these commands of God. And it's like, oh, yes, I, I love that I get to do this. Um, I'll read some passages. Psalm 28, 7 says this, the Lord is my strength and my shield in him my heart trusts, and I am helped. My heart exults, and with my song I give thanks to him. That's been just, we're designed to do it. But then we're like, we're commanded to do it in God's word. Psalm 96.1, sing to the Lord a new song. It's not a suggestion. It says, do it. Ascribe to the Lord the glory do his name. Psalm 147.7 is the same thing. First Chronicles 16, another commandment. Isaiah 42.10 is an instruction for us to sing. Jeremiah 20, James 5, and Isaiah 55, all commandments for us to sing. And in Colossians 3.16, you'll know this one. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And I'd say the last thing is like, I, I think we're supposed to do it because Jesus did it. I think we missed that. Uh, 
It's like one of the last things that Jesus did before he died. He's with his disciples. It's this little itty-bitty verse that, like, I think is beautiful. Mark 14, 26. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. It's like right before Jesus is, is taken and carried away to be crucified, he stops. And so he modeled a life of praising the Father through song, not just yeah. through action, uh, but through corporate singing. Yeah. I mean, like even in Ephesians chapter 5, it talks about like, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And out of that, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. It's, it's fascinating because like when scriptures does teach this, it's always like the word first and then it gets into there. And that's where the beauty of the Spirit and truth stuff is like, then it gets in here and then the natural response of it should be an expression of affection through song. And one thing that we're going to talk about this next Sunday at Celebration Sunday um, is how actually in Zephaniah chapter 3, we see that God sings over us. Like that, that's a fascinating thought, that God is rejoicing over us. He's, he's exulting over us with loud songs. So when he sees you, he can't help but sing over you. Like that's a radical thought. So like when we actually come to worship, it's like we're joining in the song of heaven in a lot of ways. So it's, it's not just something we do. It's not just to make us feel good. It really is an expression of the truth that, that is in there. So Mary Ellen, I, I want to ask you this question because I get this one um, quite often, especially when we start to talk about this. In fact, it was one of the emails I got was like, I don't understand why we have worship leaders. Aren't they just up there performing? You know, and it's like some people get that, mis, mis, um, that misunderstanding where they think it's just like, we're just up here playing some songs and you're all just listening, all that kind of stuff. And, and I think it's important for us to understand that this is a description of what God has prescribed in the scriptures. And so Mary Ellen, this might be leading or it's definitely not about job security, you two, but why do we have worship leaders? <laughs> you better give a good answer. I'm just kidding. I might, and I might stick my tongue out at you again. Okay. <laughs> no, uh, I think all through Scripture we see uh, that God has gifted people. Old Testament, uh, when David was preparing uh, to, uh, for the temple, he was very careful to divide the, the priests and the Levites up and, and, start and, and establish these cores of singers, these guilds of singers. And not only were these families responsible for, for leading the worship in the temple, but they were also responsible for teaching and training. All the way through, we see even uh, in Moses, uh, when they were building the tabernacle, God empowered uh, Bezalel and Oholiab with the spirit to do these artistic things. So. There is gifting, of course, and we need to use our gifting in, uh, for the encouragement and the building up of the body of Christ. In the, in the New Testament, we see the same thing of, of, of how we uh, have different gifts. And if we have a leader, we are going to be not only modeling how to worship, but we are going to be encouraging, we are going to be teaching and uh, bringing up the next generation. Um, I love this in um, uh, First Chronicles um, chapter 25, 
uh, Asaph, Jedithan, and Heman were under the supervision of the king, along with their relatives, all of them trained and skilled in music for the Lord. They numbered 288, young and old alike, teacher as well as student. Cast lots for their duties, teachers as well as students. And now, this was, that was for the temple, for the body of Christ. We are the church. And now, all of us as priests, all of us, teacher and student, parent and child alike, are responsible for worshiping. That's so good. Anything you want to add to that, Seth? Yeah, uh, I'll toss some other scriptures for us. Um, again, First Chronicles of 15, Chenaniah, love that. Chenaniah, chief of the Levites, was in charge of the singing. He gave instruction in singing because he was skillful. It's like, okay. And then Nehemiah 12, for in the days of David and Asaph in ancient times, there were leaders of the singers, songs of praise and hymns of thanksgiving to God. And then I love this in Romans 15, and this is something that I like, think on as a, what my role is as a, a worship pastor is, here it, it says this, now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's like, that's my aim is just to help facilitate one voice of, of praising Him. Um, and it's, it's so uh, appropriate to confess that I, I'm a sinner and I have pride and I, as a worship leader, I, earlier I said it's, it's an easy job or it should be the easiest job, but it's also... It's a very dangerous job. Danley and I were talking about this yesterday. There's so much danger in standing up on a platform where I'm inviting and asking you to glorify God, and yet in my sin and my pride, I want to reach out and I just want to steal a little of that glory from me. I just want to, I want to take some of the praise that's meant for God only, and let me just like confess as your worship pastor that that's something that I need to continually ask God to help me with God, help me be humble in that. Help me to not rob you of your glory. And please, like, pray for us up here on front. Like, please pray for us that, that we would maintain a posture of humility because in our flesh, we will try to rob God of his glory and we will try to, to do what the world thinks of when they think of what, what do you, why are they standing up there on a stage and singing? It, it can look so wrong if, if we miss it. I mentioned earlier as a tour guide, it's, it's my favorite analogy for like how I like to view myself as, as a worship leader. And so a tour guide has to be knowledgeable about what they're showing. So I have to know God's word in order to like tell you. I have to know the character of God in order to celebrate the character of God. A tour guide has to like know the journey that they're going to go on. They have to know the, the route that they're going to take. If I, don't, if I don't know, like, what we're going to do, if I don't have, like, this is That's where good. we're going, this is where we're going, it's going to be a horrible tour. And then lastly, uh, an effective tour guide doesn't want at the end of the tour the people on the tour to be like, wow, our tour guide was great. A, a good tour guide wants the people to be like, wow, this thing, this art piece, this museum, this university, like, that was my job. I wanted people to, at the end of a tour, think, wow, I could really see myself going to this school. This is a great school. But they're thinking, wow, that was such a good tour guide. What a miss, like what a miss. But I found I couldn't be an effective tour guide if I wasn't willing to grab attention of the group and say, guys, follow me. I know where we're going. I know what we're doing. And I can't wait to show you what I'm gonna show you. And that's, 
that's all I'm trying to do as a worship leader is take us together on a journey as we approach the Lord and, and see Him. And at the end, yeah, I don't want you thinking about me at all. If I've done my job right at the end, we're like shoulder to shoulder. You're not thinking of anyone next to you. And we're singing right to the Lord. That's what, you don't know it, but every time we end a worship set, we're singing songs directly to the Lord. Every week, just watch it. You can keep me honest on it. We finish our corporate time of, of worship where we're singing right to the Lord. We, we model what we see in Revelation where they're saying, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. So that's what we're trying to do to get us to a spot where it's direct adoration, ascribing worth to God. And so yeah. um, that was way too many words. Sorry. That's good. I really, really do appreciate that. That was a beautiful illustration uh, because I, I think it is so easy for um, us in the congregation to look at worship leaders and just go, they spent all week preparing four or five songs. That's what they do, right? But it, it's like, no, that, that's not it. That's what you see. But really the heart and the function of any of these platform type positions, myself included, is is to bring you to Jesus. Like, that's why we even say it's like we want to help people meet, know, and follow Jesus. We want to be simply about Him. We want to take you to the throne and allow you to see Him, to, to know Him. And so all of that heart, that was what shows up in what we do here. And so when we think about, like, why, why worship leading, it is so important, especially when you look at the Old Testament and, like, all the symbolic acts, like even when they went to come out of the exile back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, the first wave were the worship leaders and the priests. And, and even when um, there was a battle and God called Israel to go fight this battle, and it said, put the worship leaders out in the front lines. Like let them lead, go first and worship because out of that will come the victory. So there is a, this beautiful spiritual dynamic that comes there. So Leading worship in the singing part is a very biblical piece. Um, but I also know that within that comes tensions of all three of us all have our own unique preferences. We all have our own unique leanings and our own, all unique stuff, especially when it comes to the dynamic of leading and worshiping in spirit and truth. So as you guys have been going through your own personal journey within spirit and truth, like I would love for you just to share with us maybe some of the things that the Lord has been stirring or convicting you uh, uh, of in your heart as it relates to you in spirit and truth stuff. But also the second part of this would be, what would you say is our church's struggle in terms of worshiping in spirit and in truth as well? See, I'm letting you say things. I don't want to. You get the emails this week. I'm just kidding. Question in a minute. I like what you said earlier, but I don't want to like force it again, but how you answered it last time was meaningful, Marianne. Well, I don't think, I, I don't know if I remember what I said, but I, I, I think there's, there's just this real tension. Um, first of all, I'm thankful for this, this series on worship because I'm learning, even as, you know, you read all these books and you, all this stuff and but just getting back to the Word and a pure study of worship has been so refreshing and so good for me. And being reminded that we do worship 100 in spirit, 100% in truth, and that tension that is always there, it's there in me. I am very much of an introverted, very much 
work things out in my head. And even though I'm very emotional, as you have already seen, it's quite often those two don't express themselves. Uh, for example, in worship, they won't. I'll be, because I'm, I'm typically singing very um, formal, more formal music, I should say, with the hymns, with verses, and, and, and it, there's sometimes a disconnect, and that's not to say you can't be spirit-filled with hymns, but there's this, this tension that in me personally of, of a fear, actually, of losing control, and that is really pride. I don't want people to look at me and say, what is she doing, um, or anything like that. And, and so uh, that, that issue comes up. And in terms of, of, of how that affects our church, I think, uh, you know, God does shape us. Um, with, we all have preferences. We all are shaped in a particular way. God made us that way. It's okay to have a preference. It's okay to, to enjoy different types of music. I don't understand jazz. Uh, but someone Just else might, the right notes. Yeah. <laughs> someone else might not understand opera. Uh, I thought jazz was you just hit every key. It's any it, yeah, yeah. It's just wild. <laughs> but <laughs> but it's it's not the preference. It's when our pride takes over and says that something is less because what I think hmm. is better. And I, uh, I guess it was now three weeks ago when BJ delivered that sermon on uh, the sinful woman anointing Jesus at the Pharisee's house. And I'm thinking how uh, beautiful that act was of the sinful woman who broke every rule to do what she was compelled to do because of love. And she didn't care. And so it was a wonderful sermon, and I was so, um, you know, realizing in my heart I need to be more like a, a free worshiper and, and love the Lord and not let anything get in the way. And then what happens? The band comes up, and they start playing a song, and I don't know that song, and I don't like that song, tell you the truth. I, it just hit me all of a sudden I don't know this song I can't worship now and immediately I heard in my spirit who's the Pharisee now who's the Pharisee and I had to repent and I had to to focus on those words because who am I it, and the song was set my heart I will set my heart set my heart who am I to go against the word of God that says in Colossians 3, um, I have it here, somewhere. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above. What is that? Worshiping in spirit and in truth. Set your minds, set your heart. And who am I to say that that song is not the right song? And that was sinful of me. And I had, and, and I don't want to be that person. I don't want 
my preference is to get in the way of unity of this body. Hmm. And I will not, I will not. Thanks, Mary Ellen. Love you, Mary Ellen. She is, she was scheduled to play keys like the next Sunday, and we were gonna do that song again. And I was like, Mary Ellen, should I switch it? She's like, no. And she meant, she's like, no, like, we're gonna do it. And uh, it's been, it's, it's probably a helpful example for you to know, like, um, sometimes I choose songs that I wouldn't want to, to do when, when I believe like this is the right song for us to do this morning. If we were to all bring our preferences in and let that dictate what we we're doing, it, it wouldn't work congregationally. We're doing something bigger and different than that. And one encouragement that I want to give to you is make sure that you are spending hmm. personal time worshiping during the week. Don't let this be the, the only time where you're adoring Jesus. And, um, yeah, and there's many ways to do it. But I'd say if we really want to be people that are like about doing it in spirit and in truth, we need to, we need to be people that, that really pray fervently and really study God's word, not flippantly, not passively. And so that's been like um, when I am right with the Lord and when my worship leading is, is anointed, it is when I have been studying God's word and spending deep time in prayer. And I can confess that when I'm doing one of those off, it's just completely different, and, and God will still use me, but I miss out on His presence, and I miss out on, on the joy of, like, experiencing Him in fullness, and so my encouragement would be privately worship the Lord by spending deep, rich time in God's Word. Um, I have an example in my house of someone who does that so hard that I feel like a lot of times I can't keep up. I'm like, where's Kids, where, where's mom when we can't find her? She's in her room. <laughs> She's right there. She's in her room praying, right? Yeah. She's in her room studying. And, and I'm like, man, I be that to people around you. Be the person who's like so after Jesus. They're like, where's Steve right now? Oh, he's praying. Where's Dorothy? She's studying God's word. Like, we need to be people that are genuine worshipers of him. And that means sacrificing our time and saying, God, I... You are worthy of it. I, I commit this time to, to loving you by studying your word and loving you by praying to you. And that's how we grow is, as being people that are worshipers of spirit and of truth. And yeah, so I mean, it's like a classic answer, but it's, 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 a, it's a good one. Pray and read your Bible. That's what we need to be doing. Spend real time with Jesus honoring him. Um, and now I think we'll say that answers your second question of like what's, what would keep us from being people that would really worship in spirit and truth? It'll be our preference. Uh, it'll be our going by what, how we've always done it, just our habits, rather than like relying on God to direct us. And we'll be dry if we're not spending time in God's Word and in prayer. So that's what we need to do to, yeah. to be true worshipers. It, it is, the worship is such a unifying thing for the body. And, and that's what, what happens is when we bring in our preferences to the table and that somehow supersedes the, the unity that the Spirit is trying to do, we slip into false worship, you know, and, and that's what is so important is like when we come together, it's a, it's a safeguard. Rejoicing in the Lord is the safeguard because it's about Him. 
We're here for him and because of him, not because of me. Do we have preferences? 100%. I know there's songs, Seth, that you play I don't like. Right? And, and, and plus, like, truth be told, if you saw, if the church saw how I prayed before I preach, like if you saw how I prayed Saturday night or Sunday morning, you would think I'd be nuts. But I ain't going to do that here. You know, or like I know like you guys, you know, prep and do personal worship differently than how you do it in leading. But the unity of the body of Christ is so much more important. And I think we as a church, not just here, but like churches in general, we got to be careful of the language we use to judge music or to judge scripture time, like the preaching. Like this, like these songs are so much more truth. They're deep, they're deep, they're deep. These other songs, well, they're just all emotional, empty of truth. When it's just like when you start to do that, you slip into this preferential thing. And reality is, is like we, like I want you to know this, like these two will never play a song that isn't true to Scripture, right? But they also will play songs that are also connected to the heart. And so that's always that tension. And we don't want to miss how even timeless songs like hymns are deep truth, but they're also powerful in terms of the heart, right? And even like some of the contemporary songs that some people were like, wow, we keep saying this over and over and the song over and over. Have you read the song that says, for his love endures forever? You're like, oh my goodness, this song doesn't end yet because his love endures forever. It's just like, it's repetitive, but that's part of it, how that stuff gets into our hearts. And so what matters most is when the body of Christ comes together and rejoices in the Lord, for that's a safeguard for us. And so I want to say thank you um, so much for leading us to the throne of grace. Um, I know nobody will know or understand what it's like to be in your shoes or even the times that you have pressing into the Lord and praying and making decisions that aren't always easy and all those types of things. Thank you for leading us so well to experience the presence of God. We truly are grateful for it. Yeah, you, you bet. It's a, it's a joy to serve here. Um, I said this to, to Brandon. I think it's important for, for you to know, like, I view Pastor Brandon as my worship pastor. I know that might sound confusing, but I, I look to him as my, as my leader and I submit to him as my leader. And to see him be willing to, to worship God, to, to be in here while we're singing, I, I'll never forget it. It was like, Maybe my like second or third Sunday of being inside and and like his microphone was on the whole time while we're up here singing and we have you know headphones in. So and embarrassing. He's just, it was it, honestly like you won't ever know like so you won't ever know how much that like it really like our lead pastor loves to worship Jesus and he's willing to like take time to teach us as a worship leader who views him as a worship pastor. I'm like so thankful. And it gives me such hope that, like, we will, we, we will, like, through God's grace and the help of the Holy Spirit, we will become true worshipers here if we stay committed to what God has called us to do. And so thank you for, yeah. for leading us in it. It's just a joy we get to, to serve along with you and, yeah. and do it. This conversation is so appropriate for this time of celebrating communion together. Because when we look at Philippians chapter one or uh, chapter three, verses one, this whole rejoicing in the Lord being a safeguard and how worship is such a unifying thing for us, 
Like, it, it's, it's amazing that God gave us the sacrament of communion because it truly is the greatest act of worship we can have because it's us coming together to remember what Jesus has done for us. Right? Like, it, that's so important. We, we are here for him. And when we come to the Lord's table, we are celebrating and purposely, intentionally remembering the Lord's body being given for us, being broken for us, and his blood being shed for us to bring us into right relationship with God. And out of that flows everything in life. And so when Paul says, in addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord, I have no problem writing to you again about this because it's a safeguard for you. Worshiping Jesus is a safeguard for our heart. It actually is the greatest battle, the greatest weapon we have in battling temptations in our life when we want to put joy into other things. It like allows us to recognize that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And when Jesus is the top thing in our lives, like that is the ultimate uh, protection for our hearts. It is a safe for our hearts. And right out of this, Paul is like, listen, there's, there's going to be people who are going to come and try to add things to the gospel. Watch out for dogs, for the evil workers, the evildoers who want to say, yeah, it's great. It's Jesus, but it's also this, which is against exactly what Jesus said to the woman at the well, that there's true worshipers and there are the ones who worship in spirit and truth. And so as we come to the communion table this morning, I want us to be mindful of a few things. That communion is a time when those who believe in Jesus remember him. And so I, I know a lot of times like churches don't often say this because they don't want to be offensive. But communion is really just for the believer because it's, it's an act of saying, I believe and receive the broken body of Jesus and the shed blood of Jesus. Why would you take communion if you don't believe that? So it's a time for us to remember that. Remember the joy that was set before Jesus that he endured the cross. His joy then became our joy. But we're also called in Scripture to examine our hearts before we come to the Lord's table. And in light of this conversation, I want to encourage you to ask the Lord to reveal things in your heart, specifically when it's in the realm of worship. Like what gets in the way for you? of worshiping God? Are there preferences maybe that you need to lay down at the feet of Jesus? Or maybe you've made this about something completely other than what it's meant to be. Or maybe it's just going through the motions. I don't know. But we want to give some space just for some time to ask the Lord to reveal things in our hearts that we just need to repent of and confess. And then we'll come to the Lord's table together after a few moments.